So great big good morning, everyone. Good morning. <laughs> it is wonderful to have you here today, whether you're joining us from our studio audience or joining us from anywhere else in the U.S. or overseas. It's wonderful to have you here today. And today is a fun service. It's, it's we're going to be starting on this. We're going to be starting on the Sermon on the Mount. And before I get started on that beautiful sermon, widely considered Jesus's magnum opus or great work, we have a little program we want to set out there and share with you folks. You know, New Church Live, I mean, we've seen a dramatic, draconian shift. And that shift is away from, from in-person audience to online audience. And I can remember right pre-COVID, and we flipped from average week was 49% were, were online, 51% were in person, and then it tilted to that 51% now online, 49% in person. That, that graph now is about 98% online, about 2% in person. So we want to figure out how to work into this world. I'm 58 years old. I don't know how to do it. And we need help with that. And we would love if those of you watching online might be interested in being part of our ambassador program. So ambassador program, we're just trying to find a few folks in different parts of the country who might be interested in getting together with me, having some conversations around how this can look, might be interested in forming little groups in their area or, or working with some of the folks who, who help out in terms of moderating online, online conversations. Maybe run a small group with me. Any number of things we can do is just a way to try to get a better and better idea of how the online experience works. So we do want to offer that opportunity to you. If that interests you, what we're going to ask you to do is you can go find more information on our website or you can simply text me at 215-740-3662. 215-740-3662. So with that, friends, let's go ahead and get started. So, so the, the Sermon on the Mount is probably one of the most quotable parts of the Bible. You, you will see Jesus' Jesus's quotes from it get used all the time. Even people who don't really know much about Christianity probably know one or two quotes from this sermon. And it's, it's a beautiful sermon. And, and Jesus goes up on a mountain. That's why it's called Sermon on the Mount. People gather around. And, and he preaches, and it was a recorded service, you know, not obviously like with a tape player, but it was a recorded service. Somebody scribed it down, and it has survived to this day, and it's got these, these beautiful parts in it. And, and the miracle of it to me consistently, you know, as we were getting ready for this series on it, is, is it's, it, it, he consistently offers these little counterintuitive twists. So we think the world looks like this, or, the, or our culture looks like this, and then he takes that, he just goes like, Choo, and he twists it. I mean, even the way he starts it, which is what we're going to be looking at today, where he talks about the blessings, the Beatitudes, that's how he starts it. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not the normal way to start a speech. Because usually we think inspiration, you know, blessed are this group or that group or, or blessed is this or blessed are that. And he sort of, he sort of is saying, no, you know what? Blessings really start with our brokenness. That's incredible. And that's very much a Jesus way of talking, where you take the normal thing where we think blessedness is in our power, in our, in our abilities, and here's Jesus going, no, you're going to find power really will start in your brokenness. Those are the counterintuitive flips we're going to be looking at, touching on some of them today. And, and it, you know, oh, there's just so much. Like, 
a sermon like today, there's both this intellectual stuff, right? I mean, I, I like reading these things. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I like theology. And, and I'd ask you to join me in that. You can read through the Sermon on the Mount as well as we're going through these next, next four weeks to do that. But also consider this, folks. Not, don't just leave it as, as theology. Like, this is really great theology. Really try as best you can to, to understand the felt sense of these words. There's something much deeper here that, that continues to resonate. I mean, it's, it's always interesting to me that we can read things, we can read something that's 10 years old and it's dated. We can read the Sermon on the Mount, which is over 2,000 years old, and it feels completely germane. In other words, relevant. Think about that for a second. What does that talk about the greater truths that Jesus is sharing? And again, if, if you look at it as we do here in the new church, you know, Lord God, Savior, Jesus Christ, that, that these, this is God's words here spoken, spoken out there into the world. It adds a whole other element because it's just this counterintuitive piece. And we can even see, you know, the Martin Luther Kings of the world who, who took these teachings and, and did that same thing just, just for our country, became a counterintuitive way of seeing the world got us to question things we might not have been questioning in the way we should have been and helped us to feel inspired at the same time. So the way we want to start this here today, friends, is, is we want to start it as it starts with the Beatitudes. And to do the Beatitudes, what we're going to do is I'm going to share with you a clip from the series called The Chosen. Many of you have watched that, a number of you have commented uh, to me on it, wonderful series that's been going on for years now, dealing with the life of Jesus. And this is the part where, where he is practicing the Beatitudes. So he's, he's sort of getting ready for the sermon. And he has asked one of his disciples to come and record it because, you know, they're writing it down, to come and record it as he offers what his opening thoughts will be. And I want you again to, to listen to this, or I'd ask you to listen to this, both from, oh, that's interesting little twist, but try to get a felt sense of it too. Like, what would, what would it feel like to really hear these words? Words that start with, you know, blessing begins with your brokenness. I mean, whew, just let that in for a minute. Blessings begin with your brokenness. Enjoy this clip from The Chosen. Matthew. Matthew. Bye-bye. I've got it. The opening? Yes. What is it? A map. The what? Directions. Where people should look to find me. Okay. Give me a moment. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, 
for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward will be great in heaven. Yes. But how is it the map? If someone wants to find me, those are the groups they should look for. And then? You are the salt of the earth. you don't succeed when you get what you want but not what you need when you feel so tired but you can't sleep stuck in reverse and the tears come stream down your face when you lose something you can't replace when you love someone but it goes to waste could it
Boy, I'm, I'm listening to the, the beauty of, of Emily's voice there, Ethan's incredible playing, and that video. I sort of feel like I am not gonna be able to improve on those two things for the next, for the next half hour, because that really does capture it. I mean, that's, that's the felt sense of what these, what these words are. It, it does begin with our brokenness. And that, that again, is, is a very counterintuitive way to see the world and to see how, how church works and to see how church functions, to see all those things and to see how spirituality works. So when it begins with our weaknesses, not with our strengths. And, and I want to talk for a minute about, can, can we see that out there in the world today? Can we, can we look at the Beatitudes and, 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 and sort of pull it down and go like, oh yeah, what does that sound like today? And just a couple of days ago, I was really fortunate. There's a, there's a local author, Lori Odner's her name. She writes something called Marriage Motes. She wrote a beautiful little selection. I thought, yeah, this really is sort of the Beatitudes in many ways of modern language. So I want to step over here and just share what she wrote. It's not real long, but it's very poignant. To share what she wrote and just, just use this to kind of, again, give us a felt sense of what we're talking about, maybe in more contemporary language. It is unclear to me, writes Lori, whether this is the plan or not, but it seems to be happening. Life seems to happen. I took my life seriously in the early years. I devoured books on childbirth, parenting, and marriage. If there were answers, I was committed to finding them. In an acceleration of acquiring knowledge, there was a crescendo in confidence. I led mother's groups for those whose children were younger than mine. I presented at conferences. John, my husband, and I offered marriage groups to couples who did not know yet about the five love languages and strong communication. I was on a mission to protect people from their mistakes. 
But at some point, at some point, it was not about me leading the way anymore. When young mothers are overwhelmed, I listen rather than speak. And that's that shift into the Beatitudes right there. Hug rather than explain. Our marriage groups are less like workshops and more of a chance for people to unpack their week. There is no sage advice, just a palm over the heart. Part of it is because mistakes are less scary now. Having navigated, and here again, this ties into that idea, it starts with our brokenness. Having navigated the abject defeat of locking my son up in residential care three times, the notion of life after failure is real. I will perhaps offend someone when I suggest that it is sweeter. Hence the shift, and this is, I loved this line, hence the shift from being a traffic cop, trying to steer people away from dead ends, to standing on the sidelines of a marathon, handing out water and power bars. It turns out that I have fewer answers now than I did in my 40s. Fewer in number, yet pithy. For example, God is in charge. Be kind. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> I like that. I, I think that, that has much of the felt sense of what the Beatitudes are talking about. And, and it, it is all about creating, you know, this idea. I loved in the clip where he talked about, about Beatitudes, it creates a map and it, it helps us to understand what being a citizen of heaven is like, what being a citizen of God's kingdom. And it's not to divorce that then and there, like, oh, I can't wait to be that. No, this is, this is something we welcome into our lives here and now, or that maybe a more accurate way to say it, that God is stirring in our lives here and now. And we can see how, what that map, that map, it's all about this beautiful map of love and how to be a more loving person. This is from Peace of New Church, Work, Divine Love and Wisdom. The hallmark of love is not loving ourselves, but loving others and being united to them through love. The hallmark of love is also being loved by others because that is how we are united. Truly, the essence of all love is to be found in union, in the life of love that we call joy, delight, pleasure, sweetness, blessedness, contentment, and happiness. We were talking in Sermon Writing Team about how a lot of this stuff of the Beatitudes, it, it appears to be this circuit we're trying to create. And, and I love that word circuit. You know, it's this thing that, you know, a circuit needs a source of power. It needs a conduit. It needs something to flow through. And it needs to be grounded as well. And I used to work as an electrician way back in the day. So yeah, circuit needs all those things. And, and the beautiful part, this is just a little twist, maybe a little aside worthy of our consideration is this, is, is oftentimes we objectify love, like, like we, we put it into an object. And maybe, maybe love, as, as Swedenborg is suggesting here, is much more the circuit. It's much more how all these things go together and how they flow into one another. I, I think you can sense that, again, from the video. There's where these little clips back to different people doing different things. And somehow in that circuit of all things, the circuit is the love. Where it goes out and it comes back. Hence the consistent word from a new church perspective of the word mutual love. That circuit, so critical. And the, and the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes help us to get started on that kind of life. Look at these, here they are, folks. Now we're really today just gonna focus on the first one. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Notice, notice even what the inheritance is there. It's, it's this is what heaven is. When, when we start with our brokenness, that's where we will discover heaven. That's where we truly, truly will discover heaven. And what does that word poor in spirit mean? Well, don't think poor in terms of, of, of physical impoverishment. Because Jesus is a, he's an equal opportunity, <laughs> you, know, you know, equal opportunity Messiah in that he, he consistently was pointing out both for people with and without means, you know, what the challenges were. He's talking about something that is in our heart here. And, and one way to define it, which I like, poor in spirit, you could also define that as spiritually destitute. That the poor in spirit are those who are spiritually destitute. And again, not that we look at that time and we're like, oh, I gotta, I gotta race over to be spiritually destitute. That's not, that's not it. You will be, trust me. <laughs> that's where we will find our lives many times. That is what's gonna happen. What Jesus is offering here is that, oh yeah, you're gonna find new beginnings there. You're gonna find a blessing there. And you're gonna start to understand more and more the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. Almost impossible to capture that in human language, I think. It's, it's no small thing. I mean, here's Jesus saying, yeah, you want to know what heaven is, this bigness, this brightness, this da-da-da-da-da. You know, and, and I think for a lot of us, we kind of think, well, heaven must be like Times Square, just a lot brighter with more lights. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying you're going to find it in these other moments. It was interesting, I was working with a, with a couple, just this morning, we were emailing a little bit, and they have upcoming, an upcoming uh, wedding, they may, if they're watching today, you know, I hope they are, it was, was great having your, our conversation today. And, and they were noting, like, Chuck, could you please make note of these things, these obstacles we've overcome, because these obstacles are actually what built our love. That's what we're talking about. I love Father Richard Rohr, who many of you know, I, I sometimes uh, you know, quote him a lot, and a lot of people say he looks like me or I look like him. And, and with, with Father Richard, one of the interesting things that he consistently says, I've heard him say it a number of times, is you know, when somebody comes into his office and they've lost a business or they're going through a divorce or they just got a hard diagnosis, there's part of him that rejoices a little bit. Now it's not rejoicing over that loss, it's rejoicing over the growth that's going to happen on the other side of it. That perspective gives us a much, a much different way of viewing the world because it, it, it tends to recast what problems even are. And it, it doesn't mean that, that these aren't serious conversations to have or that we should hold these problems lightly. No, these, these problems are serious and they... They, they are debilitating. Many of the times, some of the real challenging things we face. But we can find a map through the Beatitudes. And I, I want to shift gears now to talking about, okay, so here's the Beatitudes. They create a map of sorts for finding God, finding God in brokenness. They bless that. And, and where can we find that again in the Bible? And, and what's, what's significant, folks, and this is no small thing. It's no small thing. The reason why Christianity has lasted as long as it has, with all its many imperfections, is turned into a human institution as well, is the simple fact of integrity. Like, you, if we look at the things Jesus said and we look at the things Jesus did, they really weave together incredibly well. 
I mean, that's even why, folks, you know, there's four Gospels, for those you who don't know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All four, three of them are somewhat different. The fourth one, John, is very different. All kind of different portrayals. And again, people will talk on occasion about, like, well, how can that be Revelation? Four different accounts, how can that work? Well, the people put the Bible together knew there were four different accounts. It's not a surprise to them. But it's, it's that theme, that those, those themes that, that just continue to go through, that map that we just see. And then, we, and then we see these stories where it's like, okay, here's the theory, and this is the way it looks in practice. Even though that language isn't used per se, we can see that, and we can see that theory, and we can see how it's used in practice. And I want to talk about a beautiful story, well known to many people, uh, where we can see it in practice. And that's the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now, this is a story from John from John 8, and, and this is a story where there's just, there's so many parts of it. And, and as you hear this, folks, really, really critical, as Alexander Solzhenitsyn reminds us all the time, is not to hear the Christian story, not to hear the Christian story is this, as the Christian story can never be about the pure versus the impure. And some churches make it that way. Do not do that. <laughs> That is not the, I'm emphatic about that. That is not the message between the pure and the impure. That there's this line and Christians somehow are always over on the pure line. That's not it at all. Real Christianity is not about a line that runs between people, but it's about a line that runs through every human heart. Say that again. Not a line that runs between people, but a line that runs through every human heart. So as you hear this story, it's a real easy story to sort kind of who are the good guys, who are the bad guys. But I don't think that's the point of the story. The point of the story is to understand the mix of everything and this call to be something greater, even in our brokenness. So I'm going to read, from you this, read to you this story. This is from John 8. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts. The temple in Jerusalem, he, he, this big courtyard, he appeared out there, started teaching where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach him. The teachers of the law, and think of the law there as, as religious rules, and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. So literally caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus. So there's, there's a mocking part to that too. They made her stand before, their, stand before Jesus. Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act in the law of Moses, it commanded us to stone such a woman, so the executor. Now, what do you say? And again, amazing part of this is there's no question about her guilt. None. No question. And these Pharisees are trying to trip Jesus up, and it's a beautiful way that he handles it. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So they wanted to be able to accuse him of not following word. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, this line gets quoted a lot, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Just breathe with that. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. And I just, I just think about the sound. You know, I've preached on this a number of times. I think about just the sound of them dropping those stones one at a time. The older ones first until only Jesus was left with the woman standing there. 
Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. It was an incredibly beautiful passage there, folks. And, and, and you know, it's, it's interesting to see how this is captured in art. This is a beautiful painting here. This is a Rembrandt. And this is about the woman. Can we pull down the lights just a little bit? This is about the woman caught in adultery. And, and Rembrandt did such a beautiful job. I'm going to go to the back of the stage here. Did such a beautiful job with this. And if you notice, if you notice, friends, you can see sort of the overwhelming nature of, of the temple courts. Like the temple courts are far greater than this little drama underneath. But then you look at the beauty of this. Notice what color she's in. She's portrayed in white. Notice as well the Pharisees on either side of her. One's in scarlet. Now, I didn't know this. Again, I was listening to a, to a podcast on it. That scarlet, even back then, that was, that was a not good color if you wore scarlet. So scarlet made famous by the scarlet letter. The other Pharisee pointing to her is pointing to her, and he's dressed in black. And here's Jesus with this light that's cast upon her. I think, folks, it seems to me that with a painting like that, that... That, that has this, this, this connotation, again, of, of like this spiritually destitute. Here's this spiritually destitute person. And how does Jesus see her? He sees her as dressed in white. He sees her as pure. He sees her as beautiful. Wow. That... That's such a counterintuitive, different way of seeing, of seeing the world. And, 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 and again, blessed are the spiritually destitute. You can see this painting talking about like the blessedness there and the blessedness of those moments where it all starts with that broken part. I love this little meme, too, because I think it speaks to something very important. That the only one qualified to throw a stone did not. <laughs> There's power in those words. And, and what, is it, what is it, folks, that, that we start to see here? I think what we start to see is the idea of humanity, 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 and humility. And how do those two things, look at this quote, how do those two things come together, humanity and humility? It's the idea that with the Beatitudes, they come through these different pieces and you end up with humility searching for humanity. Humility searching for humanity. I think that's the whole point in a way of the many stories like this. Where Jesus is consistently asking, consistently saying, no, allow your humility. Humble yourself. Allow your humility to see the humanity in other people. That line, that line, those are the things that get us beyond ourselves. Those are the things that get us beyond our righteous judgments. Those are the things that start to change us in so many different ways. And folks, if we could, if we could actually flip back to that slide of the, of the Beatitudes, the, the list there. When we start to see that, folks, we can see in this story so many of the different pieces of this story that are reflected in those Beatitudes. If we look at just the first seven of the eight, yeah, we definitely see somebody here who's destitute in spirit. 
we definitely see somebody who's mourning. I mean, just imagine the sheer terror of that moment for her. Next one, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. We see that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You know, and even thinking about this one today. Why did, why did they drop the stone? Why did they drop those stones? Why? And why, why does it say that the oldest, one did, the oldest ones did it first? I'll tell you why I think. I think because those of us who are older, including those of you watching who are older, we know we've screwed up a lot. We know. We've had enough life experience, enough decades under our belt to know, like, we better not throw the first stone because we've all messed up. See, that's where in terms of blessed are, the, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's what Jesus was tapping into. Not the righteousness, sort of the, the pompous righteousness out here, but the righteousness in our heart that deeply knows what is right and what's true and how to act out there into the world in a way that is loving and compassionate. That's why they dropped the stones. If they didn't have that inner goodness, they never would have done that. And it goes on, same spirit of that. Blessed are the merciful, they were being merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart, they were showing a pureness of heart deep down within. And finally, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. There's, there's the glimpse, folks. There's the glimpse of the kingdom right there. That call out of that, that, again, that external righteousness into this much better part of us, the better angels of our nature, this, this call that Jesus offers again and again and again. And as the musicians come out here for our second song, I want us just to think again about how does that look? If we, if we take this beautiful phrase of humility searching for humanity, which has all those different connotations to it, what does that really look like in our lives? And how does Jesus sort of pull together the Beatitudes in a way that, that not just reminds us about our brokenness, but reminds us about our blessedness as well? When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Yes, there we 
What a beautiful song. And, and folks, let's, let's, let's talk about what this looks like when it, when it actually enacts. Like, what does it look like to actually live this stuff? To, to take things like the Beatitudes and think, yeah, how can we live this this week? Well, the whole title of this particular sermon is Staying Kind in Hard Places. I think that's really it. How do we stay kind in hard places? little piece of new church for you. What else is a life of worship but a life of kindness? That idea of how humility fits in with that, you know, humility that searches for humanity. Again, super important. And, and I imagine, just to take us through a little, little thought exercise here, is, is thinking about like how that humility searching for humanity, what might it look like? Well, I, I think we can all think of a place where we are, where we would love to throw that stone. <laughs> I would have a few th stones I would love to throw. You know, we'd love to throw that stone. Now, I'm not talking literally physically hurting someone. I'm talking to throw that stone back in the form of an email or a text message or a phone call or an argument, you know, fill in the list. And I think, what if we looked at that and we said, no, you know what, this whole story the Beatitudes, and then the story that shows you an example of it is about really, really humbling ourselves enough so that we see the humanity in the other person. The woman who was taken in adultery, as Rembrandt said, caught in adultery, as is, as is often said in the Bible, I think that's what Jesus was saying. I think Jesus was saying, this is a human being. This is a human being. Don't ever lose track of that. Sin is part of life, and we all do it. But maybe the call here is when we're feeling that temptation to
to throw a stone. And again, the hardest resentments to give up are legitimate ones. Are ones where, yeah, you have every right to be resentful. You have every right to throw that stone. And instead, you choose not to. Doesn't mean you don't say the things that need to be said, but you don't do it in the form of throwing a stone. And if we feel like we're, we're really agitated enough to throw the stone, how about this? How about just we humble ourselves? Like, there's the call. Hum, humble yourself. Be more humble than that. That's a very different perspective on not throwing the stone. I mean, we could have this idea of not throwing the stone that kind of comes from an ego place of, well, I'm better than that and I would never actually hurt people because I'm just better than that. It's not what this is about. This is about the humility that just goes, oh yeah, I make mistakes too. I've said things that hurt people. I've done things that hurt people. And can we have that humility? Because once that humility seeps deeply into our soul, and it's not, it's not where we think less of ourselves, it's where we think less about ourselves, that's clear, then we can really start to see that humanity in other people. And just, just imagine that world that gets invited in at that moment. And, and that heaven? There's all kinds of passages uh, in, in new church theology about what it's like to be welcomed into heaven. I think one of the reasons why heaven's so welcoming is because it's a place filled with so many humble people who are just interested in seeing everyone else's humanity. A humility that's searching for humanity. That's a very different world we create when we live in that place. But as I said before, and this is the miracle, don't, you, don't, don't we all just sense, yeah, that's the world we want? That's the world we want to lean into? That's the world somehow that has a call and a promise to it? Again, folks, it's, it's not a world that is unable to say at times hard things. I, I would never say that. But it is a world that is far different, you know, in terms of how those things are said. I love this line from the poet Christian Wyman. He said, ultimate love scours the ego and urges one towards the spark of divinity within another person. When you see the humanity in another person, you see the divinity in that other person as well. That God-given spark, that God-given gift that is their soul. It is those sparks that must unite that is the only fire that time and change will not snuff out. Boy, that is just, that is beautiful. Because, folks, that goes right back to the idea of love as the circuit. Where we start to see that spark here, we're humble enough to see it here, we're humble enough to see it there, we're humble enough to see it there, we're humble enough to see it there, because it's not all about our light, it's about seeing everyone else's light. And then we're able to see how all those things come together. And how beautiful that is. That's a world. That's heaven. And then we have this beautiful flip. Beautiful. Again, and it's, it's, it's fun to, to think about and to think about Jesus preaching this. And, and again, Jesus would have had, the people who would have gathered there, uh, you would have had a mix, but it would have been by and large people who were deeply impoverished, people who were sort of at the bottom 
bottom cast of society, so to speak. That's where Jesus did his best work. Not all his work, but that's where I, I think it's arguable he did his best work. And, and he has all these people and he's like, Bless, you know, blessings will all start with the brokenness. And then there's this beautiful kind of switch of language. And you saw a reference to it in the video. And that's with these two beautiful lines. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is Jesus we're talking about here, right? This is Jesus. And he's not up on this mountain having all these people listening to him. And he's not going, well, I'm the salt of the earth. I'm the light of the world. Now, he does have some times where he talks about being the light, but it's all within this context, right? Just, folks, like, this is, this is a, a shift in pronouns of epic proportions. He's reminding them of their blessings that are connected to their brokenness. It's all about this brokenness part. And then he's also shifting right over into the blessing, like, you are the salt of the earth. You are. Oh yeah, and don't forget too, you are the light of the world. Not just of your family or your tribe or your community or your nation, you are the light of the world. Isn't it fascinating how that's where, in a certain sense, when humility has done its best work, that's what we're able to be. We're able to be salt and we're able to be light. Almost impossible again to describe how that, how the mechanics of that work, but, but you folks know that, you know it. You know it in your heart. You can call to, the, call to your mind's eye somebody who you know, they, they just have that humility thing going and because they have that humility thing going, they're really the salt and the light of your life because they just get it. They just, Get it. So friends, as we go into this week, think about how that really looks to practice a humility that is searching for humanity. When you're feeling that desire, and we all will, to pick up that stone, and there you can think up email, text message, phone call, argument. When you're thinking, when you're tempted that way, just really question yourself. Find a much more humble place to be and search for the humanity in other people. Scour your ego. Rub it down. Knock off the hard edges so that you can see the divine spark in the other and celebrate that. And may you remember this, that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And maybe even taking another step. Remind them of the same thing. I mean, that's what Jesus did at the end of this story with the woman called the daughter. He asked, and I see him doing it with a smile, where did those people go who condemned you? And Jesus then says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Good words to live by. Good words to live by. So friends, have a wonderful week. May it be a week of humility in search of humanity. May it be a week of seeing those sparks. And may it be a week of understanding, even in the brokenness, 
That's the place where God might be doing his best work with you this week. So with that, friends, what we're going to do is we're going to close as we always do here with New Church Live with a little prayer, a little meditation, and then a closing beautiful song. So please join me in prayer. So Lord, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you for being with us in your spirit. And help us, Lord, to continue to lean more and more into that deep humility, that humility so captured in the Beatitudes, to lean into it as best we can and to see it as a gift. Not a gift about being self-effacing, but a gift about being self-aware. Aware again of that that line between good and evil does not run between us and others, but runs down through the middle of every human heart and help us to choose the better half of that equation, to see that spark, to reach out, to give it breath and to give it life in your name this week. Hear our prayer. Our Father who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace and bring you home, amen.
some will make their mark like an iron to the bone a symbol in your heart and the ones that stick around are the hardest ones to find and if you can't find the closest you need the kindness to survive getting by on the kindness of strangers getting by on the kindness of strangers I'm getting by Thanks so much. It's called Kindness of Strangers by Courtney Marie Andrews. Have a great week, everybody.